Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum, and I'm with Frank Schaefer. Frank, I've been waiting to talk with you for months and months. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I'd like to introduce you uh, as a religious reform activist who is a New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen fiction and nonfiction books. And I love when you say, I'm a survivor of both polio and an evangelical fundamentalist childhood. Uh, you talk about having severe dyslexia, being homeschooled. Uh, you're a self-taught documentary movie director and feature film director, as well as an artist. Wow. And um, I, I listened to you earlier saying that they're making a documentary about your life, which I'm really excited to talk with you about. Your latest book, which we want to plug, is called, I love this, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. Resonates with my philosophy on life, Frank. And lastly, I'll just say that I read your autobiography, Crazy for God, and I was like, holy mackerel. And then one last piece, I was uh, doing an interview with my friend Jeffrey Augustine, who's an ex-Scientologist, big activist. He, he's a journalist and PI um, doing the Scientology Money Project. And he told me his backstory, which was like your background, and I think he actually met your dad, and he's like, he was like a god. Like everybody worshiped, you know, Frank's dad. He was the Christian. And um, so I'm just honored to that you took this time to uh, be with us, and I think you just have a lot of wisdom based on your life travels that the world needs right now, and, and especially in American politics. Um, so with that intro, Frank, uh, welcome to the Influence Continuum. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. So, you know, yes. I'll go in any direction you want to, so fire away. Well, I, I, so I wrote a book that's controversial called The Cult of Trump, mm -hmm. and in it I had a thesis that um, Trump was a symptom of decades of right-wing maneuvering to have power and control and kind of institute a theocratic thing, you know, getting rid sure. of the separation of church and state. And I wrote about um, the family that Jeff Charlotte wrote several books and did a Netflix series. I wrote mm -hmm. about Opus Dei, the extremist Catholic group. I wrote about the new apostolic reformation groups that has some 40 million Americans and some estimated 650 million worldwide. And because you grew up, you were an evangelist. I mean, that was your life. You breathed it, you did it, and then you've evolved since. So I'm especially interested in your thoughts as someone who's very knowledgeable about the Bible, Christianity, but has also grown up and expanded your perspectives. Sure. Um, so I, I, I'm pitching you a softball. Okay, well, so I'll, I'll take pick it, it away. Up. I'll pick it up. You, you referenced my memoir, Crazy for God, and that really tells the story of a life, I guess, up to a point about 15 years ago when I wrote the book that began in this very humble little fundamentalist mission in Switzerland, founded by my parents, Francis and Edith Schaefer, in 1954. I was born in 52. So really, my life has a number of stages, and I'll just go through them, if I may. Please. Stage, stage one, childhood. I'm living in a very obscure little Protestant evangelical community couple of chalets on the edge of the Swiss Alps. My father came to Europe in 1947 to work with kids in bombed out cities uh, mm -hmm. as part of the U.S. military rebuilding effort, Marshall Plan, missionaries and pastors kind of worked their way into this. He broke with his mission, founded his own work called Brie Fellowship. Brie means the shelter in French. And mm -hmm. that's where I grew up. So stage one, we're eating casseroles, macaroni and cheese, lots of vegetables from the garden. No funds for meat except on Sunday. Uh, a couple of students are staying with us, and that translates into this open home community that Libri developed into. 
Stage two, um, in the early 1960s to late 1960s, this ministry suddenly gets onto the radar of big-time American evangelical Christianity for only one reason. If you remember the 1960s, the generation gap was a big thing. And mm. we have the rise of the Beatles, and we have all the rock and roll coming along, and American evangelicals feel they're losing contact with the younger generation, the Vietnam War, all these other things are in play. So the first big kind of breakout for my parents was that evangelical leaders like the Reverend Billy Graham, the evangelist, and all these other people became interested in Labrie and began to visit us in a way to study his method. Well, dad's method was very simple, and that was he was a very kind person. The, the work was genuinely open. Uh, everybody was being received with great love and kindness. You might call it the kind of best of what we all wish evangelicalism always was, whether you agree with the religion or not, genuinely Christ-centered principles of treating everybody like your neighbor and so forth. So it made it very attractive. Plus, my dad became very interested in the questions they were asking, whether that was about Bob Dylan's lyrics or early Woody Allen films, whatever it would be. So you had this weird mix in my early teens of living in an evangelical fundamentalist, Bible-believing community. But if you dipped into the lectures and discussions, it might be about Dylan Thomas or Bob Dylan. It might be about uh, you know, what was going on in Haight-Ashbury a little later and the hippie movement. Dad was interested in art and culture. And by trying to give, quote, the young people, mostly student-age universities, kids backpacking across Europe. Remember, the Beatles are on their way to see the Maharishi in India. Everybody's into spirituality and so TM forth. TM cult, I've written about them. The whole bit. Yeah. So you know the, yeah. you know the vibe. Yep. So stage By two. By the way, is, I'm two years younger than you, Frank. Okay, I'm well, 54. You know, you, you'll, you'll so catch we have up. similar yeah. <laughs> cultural things. Go ahead. So basically, Sorry. you know, dad was doing uh, what nobody else in the evangelical world was doing, which was putting together a real attempt to at a synthesis of evangelical Christianity with modern culture. How do you answer mm -hmm. questions? So while other e evangelicals are talking about, you know, Bible study and what the Lord requests of you, requires of you in terms of salvation, my dad was too, but also he was giving lectures on Jean-Paul Sartre and Camus and all these other people. So all these big time evangelicals came in to see what he was doing because he's, quote, reaching young people in ways they're not. So that's stage two. Stage three, dad writes a couple of books, one of which is The God Who Is There, another Escape from Reason, and these become phenomenas globally. I mean, fast forward to the present, dad's books are in over 180 languages around the world today. They've sold tens of millions of copies and wow. still continue to, to sell um, and became a kind of a bedrock of evangelical intellectual belief uh, and if in, say, you had checked in in 1980 with any evangelical in any institution and said, who are your e intellectual giants, contemporary, they'd say C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, and then if you wanted to reach into the Roman Catholic community, maybe G.K. Chesterton. These were the names that were the kind of powerhouse of a thinking man's Christianity. That was my dad. Then yep. in the early 1970s, um, I produced and directed two film series with dad based on two books he was working on. One called How Should We Then Live on the History of Art and Culture that became a phenomena, both the book and the film series. We launched them with a 23-city seminar tour. We were, we were packing out, we packed out Madison Square Garden, for one example. We packed out the Grand Old Opry. We were in huge venues. And the, the quote, secular media, the big time media at the time, the New York Times and others completely ignored this phenomena because they were too snobbish, if you like, to pay attention to these evangelicals. Doesn't matter what they're doing. They don't have any impact on politics after all, et cetera. A complete blindness to what we were helping to build, which was really the beginning of the evangelical religious right, which eventually took over the Republican Party. But the media yep. didn't pay any attention. It was just sort of a churchy thing. And we don't do that. Um, they didn't count our books in their bestseller list. Had they, for instance, my dad's books routinely would have been the number one bestseller in the United States. And so, you know, totally flying under the radar, uh, subculture of evangelicals combined with the, 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 the kind of snobbery of the East Coast elite media. And you have a perfect storm of a, of a growing movement no one's paying attention to. 
Fast forward to the second film series, which was called Whatever Happened to the Human Race that featured my father and then C. Everett Koop, who became Ronald Reagan's Surgeon General. That mm. film series was all about abortion. And when we were done touring the country with that, and there's a long story in that we can talk about, but the, the, the short version is this. We went from the, the anti-abortion movement being mostly a Roman Catholic movement. By the time we were done, it, it had also become an evangelical movement. Fast forward to the present, and you have Donald Trump announcing he's going to run for the presidency again, based on the fact that he won last time because evangelicals voted for him. They voted for him because of a litmus test of issues they were interested in. And one of them was the deal he made to appoint judges to the federal courts who would be anti-abortion. So we had an impact in a very terrible way that, of course, I've lived to regret having changed my mind on a whole host of these issues. So that's a thumbnail of a thumbnail. Um, for those interested, Crazy for God is, the, is a memoir that I guess is used in a lot of university courses now because it sort of tells this history. And sadly, you know, when I wrote the book 15 years ago or so, I thought, oh, well, this is, this is deep history. You know, somebody like Hillary Clinton will be elected, Barack Obama, whatever. We're moving on. This is the past. Um, mm. Here's the historical record. Here's my family record. This is my own spiritual journey. But it's in the past. And of course, what I didn't foresee was that with the election of Donald Trump in 2016, it became the present again. And now here we are talking about it again. So I don't know where you want to go from there, but that's just so, sort of an insight. So I just want to underscore for my listeners that the history of abortion was really a Roman Catholic thing. And if I remember your book correctly, you convinced your dad that, right. hey, we should be taking this on too. Yeah. And it seems to me in my readings and my background, I'm a conservative Jewish childhood and now renewal Jew, but um, that it was like the right Christian right said, we should use this. We can mm. mobilize people. Let's yes. package it pro-life, yeah. killing babies. And if I'm remembering correctly, there was something called the Manhattan Declaration mm -hmm. that was done with Catholics and Protestants yeah. on political issues. Let's go after women's right to choose, let's go after gay marriage, and let's yeah. uh, go for religious freedom, the freedom to put our beliefs number one and mm. everyone else's beliefs in practice. Did I get it right? Yes, and you know, I wanna interject an interesting footnote here for your listeners that I bet they don't know, uh, at least most of them don't, but it really illuminates something in terms of a very big lie that was being told about this being a kind of part of evangelical tradition. You know, when we started the series, I talked my dad into it. I had in turn been talked into doing this by Sievert Koop, who at that time was the surgeon in chief at Philadelphia Children's Hospital, later to become surgeon, surgeon general of the United States. Up until that point, it had not been an issue for my father at all. It wasn't on his radar. Yep. And um, he included the issue of abortion in the last episode of How Should We Then Live, the earlier film, uh, as an example of what he called judicial fiat, overreach of, this, of the court, um, mm -hmm. legislating rather than simply doing what the court is supposed to do. But it wasn't about the issue per se. Then because of that, and because C. Everett Koop was very committed pro-lifer, uh, anti-abortion person in those days, based on his own medical practice as a surgeon uh, in Philadelphia Children's Hospital, and the fact he was doing a lot of surgery on uh, premature born babies and had a lot of uh, interest in that aspect of medicine, he came to me in Switzerland. He flew to Switzerland to see my dad and me. He sat down with me one evening and said, look, there's a whole other film series here that you need to make. And both myself and my dad were rather skeptical at first, but then I became a kind of a true believer. Remember, mm. I'm, I'm in my mid-20s, and I am a nepotistic sidekick of my dad raised in this environment. I don't know anything else at this point in my life. That's not an excuse, but that's where I was. You were homeschooled. I was I homeschooled, remember. yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So I was very much a product of my environment, and Dr. Coop was giving me this exciting new way to earn my living. I needed another project. 
Um, I had gotten married at 17 and 18 with my girlfriend, Jeannie. By the way, we're still together and, and doing well. Uh, but we had just had this beautiful little girl, Jessica. He was playing upon that saying, look, you know, did you want to kill your daughter, et cetera. It was a very emotional sure. young person's deal. Here's the point your, your listeners don't know, people who are following you. When we took How Should We Then Live Out on Art and Culture, the first series, we played to huge audiences, sold out everywhere. Everybody loved it because here's Francis Schaeffer at his best explaining art and culture and philosophy to evangelicals. He's their smart guy. He's their go-to guy to make evangelical Christianity relevant to the wider culture, etc. Not political. When we showed up with our abortion series, which, by the way, filmically is a really good piece of work and maybe even more interesting and better than the first. So there was no let up. Mm. More money spent on it. All the same venues rented, I think, four and a half years later. We were playing to empty venues. Evangelicals wouldn't show up. This wasn't their deal. I think a lot of people today think, and evangelicals like to project this, that somehow being anti-abortion and anti-choice was part of the evangelical package from day one. It was not any more than anti-contraception was evangelical. It was not. This was a Roman Catholic deal. In fact, when we went out with the series, and this, for people who remember the history of the evangelical movement, will be a big deal. Reverend Dr. Billy Graham, biggest thing that ever happened to American evangelism in history, was adamantly pro-choice and would not get on our platform with us where he had endorsed everything my dad was doing up till then. He said, I don't believe we should be telling women what to do with a pregnancy. Dr. Wow. Chris, Dr. Criswell, who was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, pastor of First Baptist in Dallas and president of Dallas Seminary, okay, you can't get more mainstream, fundamentalist, evangelical, hardcore conservative than that, preached an entire sermon on why he thought Roe v. Wade was a good decision. And he had introduced us in our Dallas seminar three and a half, four years before. He wouldn't show up on the platform with us on this. He said, no, I'm not doing this. And he even had Bible verses, he argued, that showed that fetal life is not the same as adult life. There's a passage in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, your, you know, the Hebrew Bible, that says that if you cause a miscarriage of a woman and, and the baby dies, you pay a fine. But if the woman dies, you, 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 your own life is taken because that's a murder. There's a difference. And right. he, was, he was citing all this. Yeah. So what I need to tell you is this. There are a number of things built into the evangelical pro-life movement that really show something. And one is that it was not an issue. Two, we had to talk people into it. And three, the only reason they got into it is because leaders like Jerry Falwell and, and Dr. Dobson and Pat Robertson and these others saw it as a cash cow to energize the kind of perpetual rage machine that is the only way they ever raise money. Send me 25 bucks, I'll save America from fill in the blanks integration. That was Jerry Falwell in the bad old days. Then, okay, that didn't work anymore. The gays, homosexuality, okay, abortion, feminism, there always has to be an issue. And this litmus test of abortion was the one that stuck. And then Paul Weirich, who was a, a far right Roman Catholic activist, sat down with Falwell, Roberts, and my dad and others, Rusas Rashtuni, other evangelical far right leaders, and said, look, let's join forces. And we, 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 this will be our way of pushing back against the liberal humanist onslaught. The, the kind of whole package, race, feminism, homosexuality, et cetera. He was looking for a way to push on this. He had tried along with Falwell and other people to make integration and standing against integration an issue, but they lost on that. They lost because people were watching people being drenched with fire hoses and bitten by dogs and beaten, that lost favor with white middle-class evangelical Christian sure. America. Okay, well, th th then what's next? So what I need to say is, is just, and I just, I'm sorry to repeat this, but the pro-life movement is the reason Donald Trump became president in 2016, period. You can take Russia interference out and everything. You take out the evangelical vote, he's never president. He's not within sniffing distance. He cut a deal with Franklin Graham and, and Ralph Reed and some other evangelical leaders. And they said, look, you know, you're a horrible <laughs> philandering jerk. 
but we're going to bring a lot of votes to you if you promise to put on the federal bench the kind of people we want there. By the way, here's a list supplied by the Federalist Society. Tick this box and we'll, and, and we'll be in your corner. And he did. He didn't deliver much to other people. He delivered to them. That's why Amy Coney Barrett and these other people reversed Roe. They're keeping yeah. the promise. We all know that. What is not known is this was never an evangelical issue before it was politicized on purpose by Ronald Reagan and by us and by those who met with him like I did and with Jack Kemp, who was a congressman at the time. We made it an issue. Reagan had been pro-choice and he legalized abortion in California. Then he, quote, changed his mind so he could get the evangelical vote. It It was a marriage of convenience, never true belief. The evangelical leaders saw this as a means of fundraising based on energizing their folks to warn them about the, the liberal humanists and so forth and so on. And then money came into it because once it caught on, it became part of the perpetual rage machine, which now is being carried on with the big lie saying the 2020 election was stolen, et cetera, as we all know. So there's kind of a, there's an arc here and it's not a conspiracy, but it's a marriage of convenience, which never had anything to do with true conviction on the leadership part. And I don't think people get that. It wasn't true conviction. It was a marriage of convenience. And then, of course, once it became an issue, there were a lot of people on an ordinary level that I don't want to denigrate who were extremely sincere. I was one of them when Coop talked me into taking up the the cudgel for this and making these movies. And then I changed my mind simply based on the evidence as I got out there into a bigger world, no more homeschool world, et cetera, and began to look around and just say, hey, these people are awful. I'm part of a criminal enterprise called Big Time American Evangelicalism. It's all about money. It has nothing to do with what my parents did in their little mission. We're, we're crooks and liars, basically, and we're using this for nefarious purposes to, as access to power. And that's when I began to jump out, and that's what I talk about in, in Crazy for God. But that angle on this issue is not something that's convenient to anyone. And I'm going to denigrate the left a little here, too. Because Please. the the, the leaders, I'm against authoritarianism right. on the left and the right, by yeah, the way. But the left doesn't want to hear that not all evangelicals were in on this from the beginning, because then it makes people like Billy Graham and Dr. Criswell more compatible with our ideals. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were not feminists, but they were pro-woman in the sense they thought a woman should have choice. So it doesn't suit the most ideological wing of the left. Because then it's like, well, wait a minute, we want to lump all these guys into one category and denigrate them. And it certainly doesn't suit the evangelicals because then they have to admit this isn't an evangelical issue and that they've made something up out of whole cloth that never existed and isn't part of our theology or history. So it doesn't suit anybody to tell the truth about how evangelicals were not just divided on the issue, but largely pro-choice at the time. And that you had the Southern Baptists supporting Roe, leaders in the Southern Baptists. I mean, you know, where do you see that written down these days much? But I was in the room when my dad was asking Billy Graham to join us. I was in the room with Dr. Criswell when I was begging him to come and lead our seminar for the second tour. And he refused. And he says, I'm not on your side on this one. So, you know, the fact that I was a little bit of a witness to history at that point means that I, I think I, I, I speak with, you know, I know what I'm talking about on this. I was there. And it's not something that's in anybody's interest to, to promote at this point or to talk about. Yeah, and so it, this is exactly what I wanted you to share from reading your history and listening to your interviews and such. Um, and I want to add a piece because my background, I was in the Moonies, I became a right-wing fascist, I was deprogrammed. And so my thing, I became a mental health professional, my thing was I want to understand how the mind works and how mm. people can be convinced of things that are completely against their values and, yeah. and integrity and history and, and religious orientation. And I want to, you mentioned Paul Weirich, and you also made a comment that it wasn't a conspiracy, and I'll challenge you a little bit on yeah. that, because in my research for the cult of Trump, I learned about fourth generation warfare, uh, something that was first written that I'm aware of by William Lynn in in the early 80s. Mm. Um, And it's psychological warfare aimed at creating, um, to delegitimize experts, science, institutions, to create confusion. But he paired with Paul Weirich, 
this was a very intentional psychological warfare thing of how are we going to beat them? How are we going yeah. to have power, money, and I would add sex, even well, though I, they said, I agree oh, no. with you. And in fact, Weirich was the precursor to Bannon. They're the same type of people. So they're after power and they, they're going to use the methods of authoritarianism to gain that. So yes, you're absolutely right. Weirich was a conspirator, but the whole movement was not being managed from above somewhere. It was being managed by evangelical leaders in a marriage of convenience with Republican leaders because it worked for both sets of people. Weirich is an interesting case, though, because he went so far to the right that the Roman Catholic Church wasn't good enough for him anymore, and he formed his own kind of offshoot spinner group of even more faithful Catholics. You know how that always works, you know, in a, a more and more inner circle. The ones that think the Pope is satanic? Yeah, exactly. Because it, too far to the left, et cetera. And, and he, he worked very hard to, to work with folks like Jerry Falwell and the other extremists on the right, pushing them further and further and further on this. So it was very much something that he conspired with people to do. And there were some other movers and shakers like that. My comment was simply directed at the fact that um, the whole thing can't be explained that way, that there was a lot more going on. And that that's what happened. And then, of course, it all took on a life of its own. So, it, you know, when we when my dad wrote a book called A Christian Manifesto, that was another bestseller, totally ignored by the by the, by the media, um, he called abortion in that book tantamount to the to the Holocaust and mm. said whatever would have been legitimate to overthrow the Nazi regime would be legitimate here in America if democratic means fail. In other words, almost uh, almost prophesying the rejection of the 2020 result and this whole idea that somehow even if we lose, we're winning because their nefarious system is 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 weighted against us. And so while my dad would have disliked, you know, and been horrified at Donald Trump's election because my father was had a lot more integrity and he he didn't like, you know, flakes and con artists per se. But that said, the groundwork for Trump was completely laid by the right wing movement I was part of. It's yep. unthinkable that he would have become president without our tilting the evangelical movement itself to the right. Up to that point, you have to understand there were evangelicals who were part of the leadership structure both black and white evangelicals in the civil rights movement. The evangelical movement had quite a few liberals in it. I don't mean liberal in the sense we now mean it today, but in those days, fair-minded people who were you know, against segregation, who were taking a position. Billy Graham, 1952, refused to segregate his, his evangelical rallies. They hated that in the Southern states. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Before the Beatles ever did it, Billy did it. And again, you know, th this sort of history doesn't suit a simplistic version of, of evangelicals, but what it goes to show is that the evangelical movement was completely undermined by far right wing operatives who saw it, the, a, a very quick route to power by energizing this, this group of voters, and they become very good at it, and it continues to this day. So, you know, where we are now with me personally as someone who has spent a lot of time writing and thinking about this from the point of view of my own regret and trying to to somehow repair the damage uh, in some way. But on the other hand, since I was as part of that process, you know, as I mentioned before, I was actually there and I knew Paul Weirich. I knew all these people. Uh, I know exactly what they were up to. And 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 Trump, um, you know, this was not their kind of a person, but for lack of a better candidate, as, as you know, that they could have all gotten along with better. He suit he suited their pur purpose completely. And I, and I just want to say one more thing about evangelicalism in general, which I think you'll completely resonate with, given your own tempestuous dive into <laughs> weird religion and cults. There's not a childhood or background that can better prepare you to accept something like Trump's idea of fake news as an answer to everything than being an evangelical. Because look how I was raised. The Bible is true. Science is wrong. Don't believe what anybody says out there about biology or evolution. We have the truth. A few years later, the same thing is being said about climate change. You know, we're, we've got our own, you know, as a matter of faith, Jesus will come back and save us. The climate doesn't matter don't believe what they're saying. This is just a left-wing plot to socialize our economy, take away our freedoms. Same thing gets into gun rights. 
then Trump comes and says, look, anything bad you hear about me is a lie. Only good things are the truth. And by the way, if I lose an election, I still want it. Who believes all that? 70% of the people who believe that are evangelicals. 70% mm. of the people who believe that are evangelicals. Again, without the white evangelical cohort, this movement doesn't exist. And where I fault the media is not by t is, is for not telling the truth. They're, they're too polite about this. They won't mm -hmm. say it because religious liberty dictates we're all supposed to be very liberal in our views of everybody can believe what you want. Anything, any private belief is, should be allowed. You can worship in any way you want. Okay, fine. But what happens when, you know, that big Baptist church on the corner is a hotbed of far-right, fascistic, revolutionary Christianity aching to take over the government and refusing to acknowledge the result of a democratic, fair election. Now we have a problem. And so I think it's long since past time for the mainstream media to take a deep breath and say, okay, we're going to have to start calling this what it is in the same they, they did with Trump. Think about Trump. His trajectory at the beginning, they didn't say you are lying. They just, they, they were always doing this moral equivalence. What he says, but the Democrats yep. say. It was two thirds of the way through his presidency before they had the courage to come say, for instance, and talk about his non-policy on COVID and say, he's telling lies. They started using the word lies. Well, it's long since past time for folks at the New York Times and these other organizations and the networks to just boldly say, evangelical Christianity is no longer a religion, it's a political movement, it's a white nationalist movement, and it's tending towards fascism, and let's call it by its name, because that's what it is. And you know, I'm saying it, um, and I have been for years, and I've been predicting for the last 30 years that there would be someone like Trump, and that this is the direction we were taking. Um, history finally caught up with what I was predicting only because I knew who these people were and I knew the power of these arguments, but we're still not willing to take the next step and stop talking about the Republican Party. The Republican Party is not the engine of this movement. The engine of this movement is white evangelical Christianity linked with extremist conservative Roman Catholicism. And I say that not about all Roman Catholics, but that wing of it. Without those folks, this movement doesn't exist. And I'll tell you, we have, a, we have almost a parody of the movement in Amy Coney Barrett. She was raised within a cultic group on the fringe of Catholicism, mainly run by evangelicals that actually use the word handmaid for women, believe it or not. Exactly. With no parody or, uh, involved, that told girls who they could marry, that trained people saying that women were to be subservient to men, the Federalist Society picked her 25 years ago to groom her for exactly where she is today. Exactly. And here she is. So, you know, let's not pretend that with her it's anything but extremist, fascistic, Christo-fascist religion. Amy I would Coney add Clarence Thomas too, by exactly the way. Exactly the same. And but I mean, these are, these are genuinely Manchurian candidates that, yep. were, that were brought by the Federalist Society to the attention of Trump via evangelical operatives like Ralph Reed and all these people, they made deals and you take the evangelical white voter out of this and we're in a different history. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, it would be look, it, it's, it's like looking back at the history of Germany and the fall into fascism in the 20s and 30s and somehow never mentioning the fact that the only reason they got as far as they did is the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutherans went along with it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. there's no National Socialist Party or it's a fringe little group screaming at the moon you know, on the street corner, it becomes a huge movement only because the people who were in positions of religious power at the time saw at that as serving their ends again politically because they were feeling marginalized and so forth. We have exactly a repeat of that here going on in the U.S. And it's anybody's guess how it's going to end. We're still in the middle. Frank, I'm so glad to capture your words, your experience in this uh, interview. It's exactly my hope of what you would be sharing with my audience. If I may, I'd like to just say, I was in the room with Sun Myung Moon hmm. when he said democracy was satanic. We need to infiltrate. This was 1974 and five. We need to infiltrate the government. Uh, we need a theocracy. 
I was sent to fast for Nixon because God wanted Nixon to be president during Watergate. I, and I hated Nixon before I was recruited into the Moonies, right? So I was in the room. Yeah. And when I had my near-fatal van crash and deprogramming, you know, the lights turned on. I was like, this is so evil. How did they yeah. do this to me? Yeah. And so I've been saying my stuff for 46 years going, yeah. hey, this is really dangerous. And the Moonies were at January 6th and they were saying, oh, it's yes. Antifa. And the Moonies paper, the Washington Times, oh, it's Antifa. Yeah. It's a propaganda yeah. newspaper that wasn't making money the whole time, but it had it, it cost two billion dollars according to the Washington Post. Where's that money coming from that yeah, they're putting all, out right? And it's wing? the same vibe. It's the same vibe. Exactly. Ex the authoritarian exactly. access to power through authoritarianism backing these backing these leaders and and, and, and the know. Moonies gave two million dollars to Jerry Falwell when he had a cash problem. And I'm thinking after I got out. They yeah. must think that he's the Antichrist. He claims Jesus failed his mission. How come they're working with the sure. family of the Moonies? And yeah. I also want to comment when Amy Coney Barrett was name was put forth for the Supreme Court, I did three blogs and videos mm. saying, this is a cult. This is an authoritarian mind yes. control cult. This is not religion. For yeah. me, religion implies faith and informed consent and the freedom to ask questions and the freedom to check if somebody's abusing their authority mm. from the pulpit to say you know i'm not i'm not going to follow you yeah and but having look at, you oh, look, at, look at the way they gave amy coney barrett a pass in the media because the media mentioned that she had been involved in this group and then afterward it was like well we can't talk about this because that's her personal faith and i'm saying you know the media has to stop giving a pass to declarations of personal faith, which happen to be correspond with you know, a politics that is anti-democracy. You cannot yeah. just say Republicans. It's a certain faction of the Republican movement, which is all about this cultic religious view of things. Yes. So I want to ask you, as someone who knows fundamentalist evangelical theology, mm -hmm. What's with New Apostolic Reformation where people say, I'm an apostle, I get direct revelations from God, I will cover you from satanic evil spirits, I will cast out demons and you know, do faith healings and speak in tongues, which proves that you know, God is working through me. This is 40 million Americans. Right. C could you please share? Yeah, I mean, it's part of this kind of spinning into something which if you had fast forwarded from say 1968 in Labrie and my parents' ministry to the present and asked my dad about these guys or the family or the Trump supporters, is this even Christianity, let alone evangelicalism? The answer would have been no. This is as foreign to us as say the Moonies. In other words, using any standard of what evangelical Christianity is um, uh, or Roman Catholicism for that matter, we're now way past a derivative of Christianity, we're into a new religion. It's a series of personality cults, or it's a series of, of conspiracy-based theories that are much closer to, say, QAnon than they are to anything that you're going to find in a biblical text. And so the, the movement you're talking about and all these other derivatives you know, are, are part of the descent into the irrational where everything, including even a fact-based dialogue, is dismissed as fake news because it contradicts this worldview. So I think we've come to a point where there's no bottom to this trough now. It isn't like there's a sort of a basic layer of Christian belief under which we cannot sink. We're, we've sunk past that. Yeah. Uh, and, and Trump took us there. And so now, you know, and I'm not being a fatalist here, but it's anybody's guess where this ends. And I don't just mean politically, but say the, the, the fall of evangelical Christianity into a series of personality cults, money raising efforts, and now the hard right denying democracy politics of the Trump movement. You know, the Trump movement has taken over evangelical Christianity and vice versa to the point where the actual witness of scripture now is, is 
bypassed in favor of hard nosed. We, we, you know, if we lose, we win. If we win, we win, but we're going to win. And by the way, we have a lot of guns and a lot of ammunition and a lot of tactile stuff and, and, and militias and other things to back this up. So it's gone far, far past differences of opinion and personal belief and all this. You know, that's, that's 30 years ago now. The place we're right. at now is, is hardcore right-wing revolution against democracy. It's anti-democratic. And it's no accident that the people who've been catering to these folks, for instance, have been pro-Vladimir Putin and anti-Ukraine. It, it's all part of the same territory or that they all went off to Hungary and had Viktor Orban on their stage proclaiming, you know, white nationalist uh, bastion of Christianity in Hungary, anti-gay, anti-trans, um, you know, DeSantis standing up in Florida where woke goes to die. This is all the same reactionary message. And it's far, far past politics as we understand that word or religion. We're into something completely different now. Right. So, um, you know, that's where we're at. And, 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 and I was in on the beginnings of this. And of course, then I bailed, but I keep a pretty close eye on it because obviously, since my family was so instrumental in the rise of this, this movement, tragically, um, it's something that, you know, I hope to live to see the end of it, or at least where there'd be a real change. And I thought maybe with Barack Obama, we had gotten there, but not at all, because all he did was fire up the, 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 the reaction. And, you know, there's a, I, I was talking to someone who on, on my own podcast the other day, that'll be out mm-hmm. soon. Um, Candy Leonard, who wrote a book called Beetleness. And by the way, I'm not changing the subject. This is the same subject. And in the book, okay. she's talking about how John Lennon said this thing about we're more power, we're more popular than Jesus. And then, of course, down south, they're, they're lighting bonfires and burning all his records. There's a direct line between that kind of reaction based on what he said against culture and the storming of the Capitol, showing up with the gallows, wanting to hang evangelical Mike Pence for not being far right wing enough. So it's not like this comes from nowhere. If you look at American history, there is always, right. there's always this movement that is trying to make this a better and fairer country in some way, in every, mm-hmm. every point of our history. There's always a pushback of a combined corporate interest along with political interest, whether it's the oil companies that for 50 years lied to us about the effects of carbon pollution, or yes. whether it's people burning records because or they books. take it out of con- or books, or whether it's storming the Capitol. America ha- always has the seeds of a fascist authoritarian movement within it. It always has. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes right back to the beginning. So it isn't that all is lost and that we're an evil country and never have had any good in us. That's not true. Um, it, you know, it's one reason we can't excuse the slaveholders, because for every Jefferson who was a slaveholder, there's a John and Abigail Anab saying, you're wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. Mm. So there's always been this fight. Um, and that's why I still consider myself a patriot to that tradition, yes. not the whole thing. But we're not anywhere out of the woods yet. So, you know, burning records and books, uh, snarling dogs and fire hoses on people trying to cross a bridge, fast forward to storming the Capitol. And now we've got the next iteration, a guy with a hammer coming in looking for Nancy Pelosi saying, where's Nancy with zip ties? Yeah. It's all the same thing. Now, I don't mean they all think the same way, but it's all the same thing. Not being able to control gun violence. So we have mass shootings of children in their schools, and that's the price we pay for owning weapons of war to defend ourselves against who? Ourselves, the US government. It's an anti-democracy movement that wants yep. to at any moment raise up and be armed and able to overthrow the government if it comes to that. That's, yep. the, that's the country we live in. And so it's no accident that these same po- folks are very sympathetic to Vladimir Putin because he says what they say about gay people, trans people, women, um, and, and the loss of white supremacy uh, in Western culture. They all are speaking the same language. And sadly, the evangelical movement in America is the bastion of that, that type of language. That's where when, when, when you see Fox News and they're talking about you know saying something nice about Putin, whatever, who they're catering to is that white voter somewhere in the middle who shares their views on these things and feels that Putin is an ally in their culture war. Uh, and, and that's where we're at. So, well, and he's ha- recruited them deliberately to yeah, believe that, exactly. that he's a religious person. He uses the Russian Orthodox Church for the very same 
um, message of control, etc. Exactly. I do want to comment though, as you were talking, I, the last couple of years I've been doing a deep dive with in the the genocide against indigenous people here mm. in Canada and around the world. And I learned about the doctrine of discovery, which mm. was a 15th century proclamation of the Pope at that time, convert them or kill them. Like wherever you go in the world, make them Christians, take their kids, put them in mm. schools and te make them good Christians. Or it's okay if they're dead because we, we're, we're doing God's work and they aren't, they're heathens. And what I've come to understand is, you know, this this rewriting, oh, we're a Christian nation, you know, <laughs> the indigenous people are very spiritual. They were yes. here for a long time before, yeah. you know, the ships came over and everything too. So I, I just wanted to add that in terms of, of this. And also, the my understanding is Jefferson and the founders of mm. of the Constitution wanted a separation of church and state, mm. and these extremists are trying to rewrite history that it was a Christian nation. No, yeah, and like, the, read their, the words. The, their desire of a separation of church and state was in their own time a pushback against the. the right the Puritans of the New England Bay State that were basically saying, we've come over here to be a city set on a hill. And by the way, when it, we need to burn the Pequot Indians to death in their stockade, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. Same philosophy. And right. Jefferson had a more enlightened philosophy based on the French Enlightenment that comes from the Renaissance in Italy and so forth. The sad thing is he was inconsistent to his own philosophical presuppositions. He holds slaves. He has a 14-year-old mistress. He gets her pregnant. On and on we go spinning out human history. But I think that the basic point that we have had this 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 conflict in the United States from its very beginning um, between whether it's the slaveholders and the and the northern states, you know, in the most bare knuckled conflict. But that conflict, like I say, burning the Beatles records in Georgia because some pastors lied to you and said that, you know, blasphemy has been committed when all he stated was a fact which was true, which was with your average teenager, if you gave them a, a chance to wait in line for a Beatles comfort for three days or stand in line for three days to take communion, they'd go to the, see the Beatles. He wasn't saying anything about religion. And of course, they knew that too. None of these pastors were that stupid, but they were just playing it for all it was worth. Again, the rage machine is the way this thing always works. So now we'll be mad at John Lennon for two minutes. And then we'll be mad at women because they want rights. And then we'll be angry because they, they want to have choice when it comes to, to bearing unwanted pregnancies. It's always the same story. So that's where we're caught in the middle of again today, right now, as we speak together, Steve. And, and I don't think that folks have fully understood the part that folks like Amy Coney Barrett and the evangelical movement or, you know, Justice Thomas's wife, Ginny, plays there's always someone just to step out of the limelight. I mean, it's always, you know, just one step away from it. Dr. Coop, my friend, one step away from Ronald Reagan. You know, my dad, one step away from the Bush family when he was talking them into changing their views on abortion because Barbara Bush was very pro-choice. Pro and, and, and dad talked yep. Poppy Bush Sr. personally into taking a stand quote against abortion, which he did in a very tepid way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, well, well, and and Reagan did the same thing with Nancy. Nancy was pro-choice. So, there, the, whether it's inside the White House or anywhere else, we've got this conflict. But at the heart of that conflict in this present moment of American history is not Southern slaveholders. Um, at the heart of this conflict is white evangelicals, my people, my mm -hmm. background. And mm -hmm. so I'm harping on it, perhaps because I come from that. But the statistics bear me out. Yeah. Because, you know, who are the people who believe the big lie right now about the 2020 election? Well, it's not your average American, the, 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 the cohort that believes most strongly and is doing the most about it by trying to run candidates who are denying, denying the election results and so forth. The whole roster of candidates that recently didn't do so well in the, in the midterms, these were all evangelicals and or yeah. conservative Roman Catholics. It was all church-based. Their entire operation was, was, was church-based. And that's where we are. So we're in this conflict between religion and the separation of religion and the state, and we're in the middle of it as we speak. 
And I want to just, I, I, I'm going to, you know, go to biblical great commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love mm. your neighbor as you love yourself, if I'm quoting it accurately. Right. It's a love message, not a fear message, not a hate message. Mm. And the Abrahamic traditions were like, open your tent if anybody needs food or yeah. shelter or water. That's the right thing to do. And we've, yeah. we've missed some of the basics. I'm going to ask you in our last minutes to, if you had your way, you know, if you had more resources, like mm. what would, do we need to do to turn this ship back from going more to the iceberg, to, you know, to safety or to relative safety? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is non-political. Let's start where the problem is hottest, and that is that evangelical white Christians in America need to be challenged to pick whether they want to be Christians following Christ, or they want to be hard-right fascist operators denying democracy and working essentially hand-in-glove with Vladimir Putin to bring down the West, because it's going to be one or the other. So and, I love and that's you the first thing. That's the I first love thing. you saying that, but why aren't more white evangelical Christians who are not NAR or these mm. extremists, why are they not having a bigger platform and, and preaching? Um, for a very simple reason, and that is either they've been excluded and or they want to have it both ways and still be received within the evangelical community where the money is and the book sales are uh, and not exclude themselves by being too clear on these subjects. So they'll tell you one thing in private, but in public, they won't take the stand. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a cautionary tale. There was more money on our book tables on any given night, and I'm not exaggerating now, when we had our seminars, than I would have earned in the 40 years since. Okay, wow. that's where the money was. And that's not an exaggeration. So, right. um, it, you know, it, you cannot, you can't have it both ways. When you, when you walk away from that environment, basically, you know, it's like it's like walking away from the mob or something. I don't make an exact analogy, but, you know, you're either in or out and these people make a choice. So that's one reason. But the other reason is that the times have changed to the point where, sadly, there aren't very many evangelicals to call back to their, their better selves because they don't even see themselves as evangelicals any longer. They see themselves as MAGA activists serving Donald Trump and his movement. And if they mm. had to choose, I mean, quite seriously, if they had to choose, they would denounce their faith and they would stick with MAGA. And in a way, they already have chosen because they're clinging to their weapons. I mean, as, as Hillary Clinton said, she didn't lie about that. They would rather cling to the lie that everything is fake news that doesn't agree with them or the election was stolen. And I say again, and this is the weird thing for people who are, quote, following Christ, they're willing to back this up with weapons and they're fully armed. And these are the guys who stop, you know, a dozen <laughs> heavy military style weapons, flak jackets and thousands of rounds of ammunition. And, and to them, that's all part of the thing. So it isn't My a question. My former cult has a gun factory that makes AR-15s right. and one of the sons of Sun Myung Moon. And the other son has a crown of bullets. He calls himself the king. Yeah. And he has the rod of iron ministry saying that Revelation says the rod of iron is an AR-15. Yeah. And, and they have training camps for yeah. civil war. Yeah. And I, I don't think that there's any purpose served by playing nice about this. I think that, you know, the, the media likes to obfuscate by saying things like it's about the Rust Belt, the loss of jobs. Yeah, that's all true. But there's an underlying problem here. You know, if you're in Germany in 1926 through 1936, and you're talking about all the things afflicting Germany and you never mention national socialism because it's impolite to do that, um, you got a problem because you're not actually yeah. dealing with reality. And I think the media, particularly the mainstream media, with a few exceptions, refuses to deal with that re reality. You know, my call in a weird way, you were saying, what would I see? Well, one would be to call whoever's left in the evangelical community back to their better selves. But the other would be challenge the media and just say, hey, listen, you know, time is running out and it, it, it is time just as you eventually barefaced right on the front page of the Times and the Washington Post associated the word lie with Trump. 
and it took a while to do that, you have to now begin to talk about the real problem, which is the white evangelical voter is now a Christo-fascist white nationalist. They are not evangelicals. They are not Christians. This is a political movement, and Christianity is just a tool that gives them a, a point of reference and local communities within which to organize the takeover of the library committee, the takeover of the school board. This is being engineered by local churches that have become 100% politicized and have nothing to do with 5013C nonprofit corporations any longer. These are, these yep. are agents of political change. We got to start telling the truth. And it, it's, I don't mean one article buried on page six or, uh, right. you know, or, or um, an op-ed piece by somebody in the Times once every six months. I'm talking about front page news all the time above the fold. This is our problem. The problem is white evangelical voters. And let's start really unpacking who they have become. And, and it saddens me because I, I grew up in a wonderful little white evangelical mission I got a girl pregnant when I was 17 and 18. And if it hadn't been for their support, we wouldn't still be married today. The trajectory mm. we were on was the love and support that would be associated right. with the best of Christianity. That doesn't mean you have to become a Christian or agree with it. In the same way, you have the best of Judaism, the best of Roman Catholicism. There, there is a good side to community and caring for one another. I experienced it, which is why I am so profoundly disconcerted and unhappy with and sorry about the role I played in mm -hmm. taking what was a movement that had pockets of real compassion and love as my pra parents practiced in the early days of their mission. How did right. this Shakespearean tragedy unroll to where we are today? It's not that these were always bad people. That's a simplistic story with no arc. The arc is right. the other way around. This was largely a good movement that had everybody from civil rights workers to others involved. There's no desegregation of the schools in the South if some Christians hadn't gone along on some level somewhere with that program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Martin Luther King was a pastor. End of story. So how did we go from that to this? And that's, that's what I think the, the media and the best of all worlds would really look into now and begin to tell the truth about and call it what it is. For instance, in the confirmation hearings of Amy Coney Barrett, she should have been asked about her religious affiliation and what they stood for in their anti-woman misogyny. Every other question should have been about that. Thousand percent. If you have a chance, look at my three blogs and interviews with former members of the people right. of praise. And I want to tell you, my frame has been psychology mm. and how people can get programmed into a different reality that's black and white, us versus them, good versus, very simplistic, right? with phobias that you don't trust your own conscience, your own heart, your own gut. Mm. And when I wrote The Cult of Trump for Simon & Schuster, everyone thought it would be a bestseller. The mm. media wouldn't have me on. Yeah. I, Total I, censorship. Yeah, I totally get it. I because totally get the, it. the people who are in power don't want the public to understand mind control mm. and how mm. it's done and how to protect themselves. Mm. And I just did an interview with a psychiatrist who's an expert on digital influences on the brain and developmentally. Yeah. And the, the big tech, because I heard another interview that you were doing uh, with someone else talking about big tech wanting sure. to program people's minds well and they have the screens and they have yeah exactly. i mean you know when it when you, when you see somebody on a street corner they're not reading a bible they're staring at a cell phone i mean tech is one and they've got us so these guys that were going to save us by being libertarian san francisco cool guys 30 40 years ago all turned out to just be more fat cats but one level lower i mean at least the railroad barons didn't want your brain they just wanted you to give them a right of way to build a train to the West Coast and shoot Buffalo. You know, I mean, I'm not being facetious, but right. today's big tech is Ayn Randian, libertarian. We're going to do what yeah. we want, make all the money we want. That's who these guys turned out to yeah, be. Yeah, selfishness is good. Altruism is evil. Is yeah, and last thing cult. here before I run, it's not yeah. an accident that half of them, like Thiel and, and Musk, uh, Elon Musk and these guys have gone to the right. So yep. they, they, they are all now pushing for Republican victories across the country. That's where they're putting their billions of dollars into, in dark money. So if we thought Frank. that with the Koch brothers, they were going to go away and this was the end of an era. No, there's a bunch of young guys 
who thought they were going to be cool entrepreneurs and they just turned out to be more people who are going to finance the far right in the same way the industrialists of Germany did in the 1930s. Thousand percent. So you have a video blog, you have a podcast called In Conversation sure. with Frank Schaefer. Yeah. Visit your website, lovechildrenplanet.com. Frank, sure. thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, and, Steve, uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I hope we get to meet sometime and I, we, schmooze sure. a little. I would enjoy that. Yeah, me too. Have a great okay. day. Take care. Okay, bye. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at igotout.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.